Hi, this is Helen and Terry Norbo from Sweden. Welcome to our podcast, Reformation Scandinavia. We pray that this message will inspire you to a deeper intimacy with Jesus. Remember, you can reform and change your life for the eternity today. Enjoy this message. On this episode, we're having a special guest with us, Larry Spark from Destiny Image, an amazing man of God who has been touched by the Pentecostal fire and has been traveling around America with that word. Now he has been with us here in the School of the Supernatural Sweden and just imparted the Pentecostal fire into our spirits. And we just want to welcome you, Larry, to our podcast, Reformation Scandinavia. For the viewers who do not know you yet, as we do, please introduce yourself a little bit. I'm Larry Sparks. I'm the publisher of Destiny Image. I've been with the company about 10 years. We've been around since 1983, and the mandate's to publish the prophets. So we publish the prophetic, revival, Holy Spirit type of projects. I have my Master of Divinity from Regent University um, in church history and renewal. I live in Texas with my wife, uh, who is the vice president for Lance Walnow's ministry, wow. and, uh, and my daughter. So that's a little bit about me. Tell us about how you met the Pentecostal fire and what <laughs> the encounter around that yeah. uh, that started all this. Yes. Well, interestingly enough, I am not from a traditional Pentecostal denomination. So in the United States, we have Assemblies of God, Church of God, Cleveland. They would call those Pentecostal denominations. However, uh, oh, now it's well, it was back in 1999 when the Holy Spirit first touched me. And I would call it a charismatic or a Pentecostal experience where I felt the fire of the Holy Spirit uh, in my heart, but I also felt electricity in my hands. And it was, I didn't fall down. I didn't have any of that kind of thing happen then. I've, I've fallen down plenty of times since under the power of the Holy Spirit. But in that one very subtle but very supernatural encounter, I knew God was real. And at the time, I was only 16 years old, but I knew he was real. I knew the God that I, I went to a Christian school at the time. I went there actually. I went to a Christian school all of my life. I believed in God. Here, here's the deal. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I believed Jesus died for my sin, but I felt like he was distant. I felt like he was out there somewhere that maybe God was this bearded old man who sat up in heaven and he started everything. It's like he started the clock and he stepped away. But I, I, I learned when I was 16 years old and in the atmosphere of worship, I felt the fire of God, the presence of God, the electricity of God. And I thought to myself, he's real. This, this person I've studied and known as a theology is real. And I've really lived my entire life out of that encounter with the Lord. So fast forward to March of 2021. So this year, as we're recording this, I went to this church in Phoenix, Arizona called Fresh Start Church. It's a Pentecostal church. Pastors Kim and Paul Owen, uh, amazing people. But they had me come up on stage and they prayed for me and it was powerful. It was dynamic. It was intense. I didn't know what happened, but I knew God did something. Uh, and I knew it was quite significant. So I came back home and my friend, who's a prophet, Anna Werner, I like to have friends who are prophets. When Amen. people who claim there are prophets just start trying to direct my life and give me these words, 
I, I don't have a relational equity with them, so I don't know if I can trust their words. Um, I have to be extra discerning. I love it when it's somebody who's a dear friend and they know how to steward the word of the Lord. So Anna said, Larry, what took place in Arizona was very significant. Actually, one of the most significant encounters of your life. And she basically encouraged me to talk with the Lord and figure out what happened. Because I'm sure you all know, I'm sure the listeners know, sometimes God touches you and your brain doesn't even understand what took place, but you know something happened. That's where I was. So I said, Lord, what did you do? What did you release to me? And what are you saying? And that's when he gave me that statement. The Lord, I believe the Holy Spirit said, I'm reintroducing my church to Pentecostal fire. Pentecostal fire. And that's what I've been teaching. That's what I've been sharing. I've been sharing on the priorities of Pentecost. I've been sharing about going back to the model that we see on the day of Pentecost. Bottom line is this. It's not about being a Pentecostal denomination. This word is not for those who were part of a Pentecostal church. The church, no matter what denomination you are part of, the body of Christ is called to be a Pentecostal company of people who move in the power, presence, and fire of the Spirit. It should be normal. It should not be the exception. And the last thing I'll say there is uh, the Lord gave a prophetic word to one of the teachers here in the United States, Tim Sheets, who's Dutch Sheets' brother. And the Lord told him this. He said, you raise the bar, I'll raise the anointing. In other words, if we raise up the standard of the word of God, because that's the bar, that's the standard. If I actually believe that this is the standard by which I live my life, this is the standard by which we do this thing called church and Christianity, then we will actually see the anointing and the power of God bring to pass what we read about in here, because this is what we are basing life on. This is our standard. That's kind of where I am right now. Mm. But today, during the School of the Supernatural Sweden, you uh, taught out from the nine priorities yes. regarding Pentecostal fire or principles. Yes. Can you elaborate shortly on that? Why these nine? Sure, I, I can share. And, and listen, there's no special supernatural reason that there, there are nine. In fact, there are, are more. As I'm putting this, I'm, I'm putting it into a book. I haven't written a book really myself in about eight years. And the Lord, I just feel like he's, he's mandated me. He, he's mantled me. This is an assignment to talk about this. So the nine priorities of Pentecost, these are things that I see demonstrated primarily in the book of Acts that it doesn't have to do with some of the mechanics of how we do church or Christianity. It's not, do I have pews or chairs? It's not, do I have an organ or do we have drums and a guitar? Um, those are fine. I don't think God has a problem with any of that. It, it goes back to looking at what were the value systems uh, of the early church? What did they see, particularly on that day of Pentecost, that was so important that they could actually build their lives on and build the church on? So just some of those nine priorities of Pentecost. Number one, you've, and these are not, there's no specific order to these. These are just things I felt like the Lord highlighted. Number one, I believe you have the priority of persistent prayer. And the key is persistent prayer persevering prayer. That's the kind of prayer that made up the early church. I think of Acts chapter 12, where Peter was in jail and uh, the angel comes and gets him out and it's supernatural. It's amazing. But it says that while he was in jail, constant prayer was offered for Peter. It's not the kind of prayer that we're often comfortable with in the 21st century. 
we want to say one prayer and then God comes and he gives us all we want, need and desire. There is a kind of prayer that I feel like the old time Pentecostals knew about and we don't know too much about it. Uh, they use words like tarrying or contending. Uh, they use pr uh, like praying through. But you know what? I look at those folks back in the 40s, 50s and 60s, 40, 1948 with latter rain and even the early days of Pentecostalism. They got the breakthrough. Amen. They got the breakthrough. They listen. I, I know there's legalism. I know there's there's strange things that people get into. But the people who pray from that place, from a place of purity, they're not trying to earn anything with God. They're not trying to prove anything to God. They get so gripped. And this is one of the things I shared uh, for our Friday night session. Um, what happens is this: is they gr they become gripped by what they read and hear. They read the promises of God and they pray until they see with their eyes what God said in his word. And that's Amen. the kind of prayer that we need that I actually believe releases Pentecostal fire. We need to pray until either God gives us a new prayer directive, which he, is, he has the right to do, or I pray until my eyes see what I read in the scripture until my eyes see what God has said. And that's just one of those priorities, those nine priorities of Pentecost, the priority of persevering prayer, because they met in the upper room in Acts chapter one. And there's, I have the new King James version and they called that section, the upper room prayer meeting where they gathered together. And what did they do? They prayed. What were they praying? I can't tell you specifically what they prayed, except I know in Acts chapter one and Luke 24, we read the some, of the some of the final words of Jesus before he ascends into heaven and he gives him a promise. Mm -hmm. And he says, wait here, tarry here, remain in the city until you are endued with power from on high, until you receive the promise of the father, the Holy Spirit. So they literally prayed until they saw what God had said. Amen. The thing is that prayer is the total fundament for everything. As I mentioned earlier, I've been to a coaster ship in Norway for more than 100 days. And you know that you could hear the engine. You could hear some kind of a noise. You cannot see the engine. But because of the engine, the ship were moving forward every time. When the engine stopped, the ship stopped. And therefore, if our play, prayer life stops, our life will stop. But we need prayer. What we see is the expression of the prayer that we have been doing in the secret place while nobody has seen us. How would you define Pentecostal fire? Yes, I would say it looks like what we see clearly defined in Acts chapter 2. So number one, we see manifestations of the movement and the power of the spirit. When the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, what do we see? There's a mighty rushing wind. There are tongues of fire that appear over those who are gathered in the upper room. There's a sound. Um, there's activity. Uh, Pentecostal fire, when a church or a community is experiencing Pentecostal fire, they are actually experiencing the movement of the Holy Spirit where he can do what he wants. There is no one uh, trying to restrain or restrict him. The Bible calls it quenching the spirit. And in that environment, uh, he can do as he pleases. He can touch those who are infirmed and sick in their bodies and they can get healed. Uh, he can touch those who are demonized and they can be delivered. He can touch those who have been in deep emotional pain or trauma for years. And sometimes you will see those people laying on the, on the ground, 
uh, either weeping or laughing in the spirit. Uh, Pentecostal fire looks like 1 Corinthians 14.40. Let me explain that. Because Paul says everything should be done what decently and in order. So many people have taken that scripture and they've actually abused it. Because they think decently and in order means no activity of the Holy Spirit. They think decently and in order means we just kind of sit here. We go through a liturgy. And listen, there's nothing wrong with a liturgy unless we remove life from the liturgy. And the life is the Holy Spirit. So decently and in order to me is we come into agreement with the order of heaven. What is the order of heaven? It demands people. It demands leadership who listen. It demands people and leadership who listen to the voice of the spirit. And we don't assume we know what God wants to do. We just approach a gathering. We approach life. We approach everything. And we say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? What do we want to, what do you want to do? We come planned and we say, God, everything bows to the order of heaven. Everything bows to what you want to do in this moment, in this space. And if order that day in that moment is literally everybody on their face before the Lord in that gathering. To me, that's decently and in order. If order is the Holy Spirit coming with some outrageous joy, the oil of joy, and people are just laughing, that can be order. Um, if the Holy, I mean, there's so many different ways, as I'm sure you've seen in gatherings and meetings, even in our homes, where God just shows up how he wants. The worst thing we can do, two things is we can quench the Holy Spirit, which basically says, Holy Spirit, you can't do that, or you can't move. Or number two is we try to make something up or manufacture something when it's like God wants to move one way and he wants to do one thing, but it's not what we want. You know, it's like, well, I want him to show up with the joy and the laughter, and he wants everybody on their face because he really wants to open our eyes and unveil us to, he really wants to unveil his holiness, which he has the right to do. Um, and we're like, no, 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 I don't want that. I don't want the holiness thing. I want the laughing stuff, though. I want the joy stuff. So that is equally as dangerous, and that is being out of order. Um, and I do believe there is appropriate, there's, there's a time where people get out of order, but out of order is, I think, different than maybe many of us think, because I've seen gatherings in Toronto or Brownsville where I knew the order of heaven was literally everybody on their face before the Lord. Or you've seen at Toronto where people, there would be bodies and people laying all over the stage and the platform as John and Carol Arnett just continue to minister. I actually believe that's order because what they are doing is they are accommodating what the Holy Spirit wants in that moment. But if we get to a point where either we quench it and we say, no, we don't want that, or we say, you know what, God, we want you to move the way we want you to move. We want you to do the stuff that we like. Um, that's equally as dangerous. Amen. My testimony, we have been missionaries for some years and living out in the mission field. In Czech Republic. In Czech Republic, you know, for three years. And then we moved back to, to Norway and then to Sweden. Uh, and we were disappointed when we came home. We got disappointed in God. We got disappointed in people. But when I was a stay-home mom with our four daughters, uh, suddenly one day I did a heart check 
And you know, the Holy Spirit asked me about the fire of God. And I realized the condition of my heart that I had become lukewarm, me, a missionary, me, somebody who could prophesy. I had become stagnated and lukewarm in my spirit. And you know, I started to cry out, for more of God. I started to cry out from the position that I was in to just, God, I am baptized in the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues, but I do not have the fire. I need a baptism of fire in my life. And you know, I started to weep. I cried out day and night. I need a baptism of fire. I need a baptism of fire, God. And I said to the Lord, if you don't baptize me in fire, you can just take me home to the heavenlies because I don't want to live here on this earth any longer with this lukewarmness. So I just started to pray and I started to cry out for the Lord to just baptize me and mark me with the fire of God. And I know that people can see that all around. They can see the lukewarmness. They can see the apathy. They can see that, that, that they are not hungry people around them. But when we start to cry out for more of God, then we will see him just answer that prayer and mark with a fire. And as you spoke about that in the, in the school of the supernatural today you also spoke about that we need to cry out for more of God and that God will always meet that so uh, could you please tell us more about that how how does the fire fall you know it's interesting the fire falls historically on sacrifice um and I I, I wish I could tell you there were seven steps or three keys to walking in the greater glory of God but I really believe it's Romans 12, verse 1, where it says, we offer up our lives as a living sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when I go back and I consider even the dedication of the temple in the Old Testament, when it was dedicated, when the temple was dedicated to God, fire fell. And it's one of those things where likewise, when we dedicate ourselves, because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I actually believe God even right now is looking for a people to say, God, I know I'm not perfect. I know I don't even have my whole act together, but Lord, I offer up everything to you. I offer up my struggles. I offer up those things that I don't even like to talk to people about. I offer up my shortcomings. I offer up my sin. I offer up my life. I offer up my control over my destiny, over my, I offer everything up to you, Lord, because God, I put it in your very capable hands. I yield it to you. Um, again, I don't claim perfection. We don't claim that. We claim absolute dependence on God. I think the Lord is looking for somebody who prays from a pure heart like that. And I believe absolutely those are the folks he sends his fire on. Now, I do want to give a little bit of a context, which as you were sharing your testimony, I'm thinking, um, I know this is language that we do use historically in the charismatic community about the fire of God, but I almost feel like there's this question, what is the fire of God? What does it look like? And I'm thinking, I wish I could theologically explain it, but I can give you some context. John the Baptist spoke of Jesus and he said, one is coming who's mightier than I, and he will baptize you. He will immerse you with the Holy Spirit. You know, if we're born again, we have the Holy Spirit. Um, I do know we teach on or preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where we actually experience the person who lives inside of us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, we could go in a lot of different directions on that. 
But you know what happens when somebody gets baptized in the Holy Spirit is they actually have an experience with the person that was deposited on the inside of them when they got born again. That is why we teach subsequence. Okay, it's a doctrine called subsequence where people teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is actually available after salvation. I believe that's true. Why? Because and now there are people like my wife who actually experienced a mighty, powerful baptism of the Spirit even at the moment of salvation. God can do whatever he wants. God is in heaven and he does as he pleases. But what happens is this, we get born again. We get born again. We give our lives to Jesus. He forgives us of our sin and he sends the Holy Spirit right then to come live inside of us. But when we get baptized in the Spirit, by the way, I believe our whole life we can get baptized in the Spirit or be filled afresh multiple times with the Holy Spirit. I believe what happens is we experience the one who came to live on the inside of us. In other words, the one who lives inside of me is now resting upon me. And that is what I want to go after. I, I look at people like Smith Wigglesworth or Catherine Coleman or John G. Lake, and uh, you can think of D.L. Moody and even more contemporary people like Reinhard Bonnke. You, we think of some of these heroes of the faith, um, and we wonder what was the secret that they had? You know, were they just these real special supermen and superwomen, or were they? And you actually start to study a lot of their stories, and a lot of them were very broken, and a lot of them had issues, a lot of them did not at all claim perfection. Smith Wigglesworth was an illiterate plumber. Um, I think of Catherine Kuhlman. And I mean, she had a first marriage that didn't work out. And it was a great regret to her. But here's the thing. Why did God use them? I'm convinced of this much. I don't know all the answers, but I'm convinced that these normal people, not just them, but a lot of the people that we admire, a lot of the people who are moving in these realms of power, um, I think they just get to a point where they say, I believe the Holy Spirit rests inside. He lives inside of me. Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I know that theologically. I know that he is the down payment of my salvation. And I know he's confirmation that I know Jesus and I'm going to heaven one day. And that's glorious. But what would it look like if the Holy Spirit who lived inside of me actually rested upon me? What, would it, what could it look like if God, who I know on the basis of scripture, the one who lives inside of me, what would it happen if he rested upon me? What would happen if I actually hosted the Holy Spirit in my thoughts, with my words? What would I happen if when I had certain feelings or emotions pop up and I said, you know, would that, would that make the Holy Spirit comfortable? Um, that, that's great. But what, even further, what could it look like if the Holy Spirit, would have the presence of God rested on my body? And all I know is that biblically that's possible. Biblically, looking at Peter, whose shadow healed the sick, or Paul in Acts 19, where pieces of clothes, you know, his clothing healed the sick and delivered the demonized. All I know is it's possible to be that saturated by the presence, power, the fire of God. And as long as we live here in the earth, I want, I want that to be the standard that we are crying out for, taking risk for, and uh, I, think it's, I think it's worth it. Amen. If we think about God's power in terms of a scale of a power, in terms of a volume on a scale zero to 10, I would say that when 3,000 people were added to, to the church in one day, that would be 10 
out of 10 on the volume scale of God's power, yes. if we can use that picture. According to you, what is needed in order to experience such a 10 out of 10 event once again? Yep, I think that's a very good observation. And I will, I will note this. The day of Pentecost is forever significant, and we are not trying to repeat the day of Pentecost mm. because it's already come. The Holy Spirit has already come, so I'm not trying to make Pentecost happen again. However, I want to live in the fullness of power that that made available. So here, here I'll give you a case study because I, I want practical. Right now, we are part of a church. We're serving a church in, in Texas. And they're actually seeing a real, I believe, dynamic, pure move of the Holy Spirit. And I love the pastors. They're, they're right now in their, I think they're in their mid-60s. And this has been, uh, they've been pastoring, I think this church, maybe over 20 years. It's an Assemblies of God church. And they've got to a point where they said, you know what? We've, try, we've tried uh, the church growth stuff. We've tried these different strategies. We've tried all this stuff that, that some of the popular churches are using. And they're like, we've just gotten to a point where we really don't care. We, we, we don't care what people think about us. I think maybe that's number one. I think, honestly, I, I feel the Holy Ghost on that. You get to a point as a person, as a pastor, as a leader, where it's like, I don't care what people think. I don't care what the perception is. Because in Acts chapter 2, obviously, we're just talking about 3,000 came in, in a matter of moments to the Lord. Um, but then simultaneously, while those 3,000 were being ministered to, you obviously had what the Bible says are others. And the others were accusing them of being drunk. They ridiculed them. They mocked them. They made jokes because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But it was that very outpouring of the Spirit, that demonstration of the power of God, that I believe was responsible for bringing those 3,000 to the Lord that day. So it's one of those things where you get to a point where, number one, I don't care. <laughs> and I don't say that in a mean way. I just don't care about what people, namely the spirit of religion, thinks about me. Um, number two, I'm going to make space for God. I think it's really, really simple. Where, and again, I, I love these pastors that we're working with. They're, they're precious people. They're veteran pastors. But they've gotten to a point where they're saying, we're going to just experiment. And we're going to make space for God. And what happens is you open up your life. You open up the atmosphere. You open up the environment. You, yes, of course you come with a plan. We don't want to just be fumbling around. But we hold everything up to the Lord and say, God, what do you want to do? What is on your agenda? And I really believe if we start getting comfortable asking God questions like that, he's going to be very comfortable sharing what he wants Amen. to do. Even Amen. as we prepare sermons or we prepare our gatherings, all that, if we really actively consult with the Holy Spirit, I believe he wants to talk and he wants to give us practical, clear instruction. I think, again, I said prayer before, but prayer is utterly and absolutely essential. And it's that persevering prayer where there is just, whether it's in our homes or in our lives or in our churches, there must be the backbone, that power center of prayer. And when we start to experience a measure of the move of God, we cannot back down on the prayer. If anything, the prayer needs to level up. It needs to go to the next level. I've seen so many moves of God that were canceled because we prayed for a move of God. We prayed for the Holy Spirit to come and he starts to move, but then it's almost like, we back down on the prayer, and what happens is this, is we level off. We get to a point where it's like, you know, I'm grateful for moving in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm grateful for words of knowledge and words of wisdom and healings and tongue. I'm grateful for all of that, but 
What did Jesus say in John chapter 14? He said, the works that I've done, you will do and greater works. Mm. So until we really begin seeing, I mean, we have no right to settle. We have no right even just to embrace and accept where we are right now, even if where we are is in a good place, even if we are seeing a measure of Holy Spirit activity in the gifts of the Spirit, people getting saved and healed, those things are glorious. And I don't want to devalue them for a moment, but I do believe there's more. I do believe our life is supposed to be going from glory to glory. So it is. We Number one, we don't care what people think. No, number two, I think we just decide we're going to make space for the Holy Spirit and consult his agenda. Number three, we, we never graduate from prayer because prayer, I believe, is the operating center of the move of God. And one of the things Holy Spirit told me just about this, I, I, I do believe we are in a time of revival. Mm. I, I, I believe we are moving towards what we could say is the end time revival. Um, Kim, Kim Owen said this, that Jesus is coming back for a church in revival. Mm. I love that. He's coming back for a church that is in revival, not a church that's falling apart and the tires are coming off and all that kind of thing. He's coming back for a church in revival, and that is what we're moving towards. Would you say that is significant that those pioneers, those names that you have mentioned, powerful men and women of God, have spent more time in a spiritual desert than others? Oh, I would. Yes, I think that's a wonderful thing to note, because what happens is this is in that spiritual desert. A lot of activity is happening. Mm, exactly. And I got I feel like the Lord. I'm glad you brought that up. I actually believe that's a word of the Lord for somebody, because where we are right now in the 21st century, the good thing is we have really seen a I don't want to call it a restoration of the gift of prophecy, because prophecy, I believe, has happened you know, since the day of Pentecost, maybe not as widely recognized as it is today but where we are i'm 37 years old i think of young people who get these amazing prophetic words about how they're going to change the world and shape nations and all that and and it's glorious and a lot of them are quite true but here's the problem we love the prophecy we don't like the process we love the prophecy that says what i believe god fully wants to do through people we love the dream it's like joseph it's like, we love those dreams. Oh man, everybody's going to bow down to me, Joseph in the Old Testament. Um, but we certainly don't like going to Potiphar's house. We don't like being in the pit. We don't like being in jail. And I'm not saying, does God do that? Does the devil do that? I, I wish I could tell you, all I know is that for Joseph and for so many people today, um, we devalue process because we think that process, you called it the desert. Yes. We devalue that, and we think nothing happens in that time. But I want to declare right now everything happens in that time because God is looking at you. He's actually looking for how you yield to and partner with that process because that almost determines, are you qualified yet to step into the manifestation? Are you qualified yet to step into that prophetic word that somebody gave you that is truly from the Lord? But it's in that time of process we are shaped, we are molded, we are prepared. Otherwise, I'll end on this note, but it's like, if we want to go past the process, if we want to try to work around the deserts, like I don't want to go through that desert thing. Um, I just want to step into the manifestation of all the things that God has said about me. You know what? If you try to manufacture that, if you try to step through the process, if you try to avoid the desert, and you just try to step right on into the fulfillment of promise and prophecy, that which is meant to bless you will absolutely destroy you.
because the process is what gives you muscle to bear what God wants to release on you and through you. So my encouragement is we, we almost, I, I know it doesn't feel good. I know there's no way I can't sell a book about the process. I'll tell you that I can't, I can't sell a book about the blessing of the desert. I mean, I even know books that have been published that are amazing about the wilderness and they just don't do well because nobody wants the wilderness. They want the fulfilled promise and they want the fulfilled prophecy. But I'm, again, I'm glad you brought that up because the people I mentioned before and anybody who's worth their weight in the spirit has gone through process. They've gone through quiet times, hidden times. Um, but goodness, then they emerge just like Jesus. He emerged mm. from the wilderness in what? In the power of the Amen. spirit. Yeah, one of the Christians uh, sayings that is quite popular is that we are going from victory to victory, from glory to glory, yeah. but without realizing that in order to have victory, you need to fight first. If we take a uh, world championship within football, uh, I mean soccer, <laughs> uh, as an example, you know, the winning team have first been playing a game seven times in order to be pronounced as winners. They've been fighting several times. So everybody wants victory. Everybody wants to go from victory to victory, from glory to glory. But no, nobody actually wants to go through, as you said, through the process of fighting and playing the game. That's true. We, we actually love, you know, it, it, the Bible says from faith to faith, glory to glory, um, we love the glory. We don't like the two. No. <laughs> we love glory, but it's in that word two, T-O, where the process takes place, where the shaping takes place. Uh, but it's, it, we, we must consider it a blessing because it's in that place where he's actually preparing us and fashioning us to hold that next glory, uh, to walk in and operate that because glory is weighty. It literally, in the Hebrew word, it's that word kabod, that weight of God. So, yeah, it's in those times of process, desert, whatever you want to call it, where I think he does prepare us to carry the weight of the glory we're ready to step into. Would you please, when we finish up this podcast, would you please pray for the, the listeners and viewers so we can close with that? Yes. God, I thank you for the words of Jesus where he desired that there would be fire release in the earth. He did. Jesus said, oh, that there would be fire released upon the earth. Oh, that it were already kindled. So, Father, we thank you for that Pentecostal fire. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to beg for it. Um, we, we, we don't have to make it happen. We don't have to try to pull it out of heaven. You sent your Holy Spirit. Help us to go back to your word. Help us to go back to your standard. Help us to really study for ourselves what were these priorities of the early church? What were the priorities of Pentecost that caused them to operate in the fullness of your presence and power? Lord, we are hungry and thirsty for more. And I'm grateful for, Lord, all the amazing things we've seen over the last 2,000 years. But God, what we have is not enough. What we, and you're okay with that. You're okay with us. This is just what I see. You're okay, Lord, with us looking at the word of God. And then we look at where we are right now. And I feel like the Lord's saying, please don't feel guilty or shameful. Don't feel bad. If anything, get hungry. Because I look at where I am right now. I look at what I walk in. I look at what I function in. And I ask myself, is it what I read in these pages? But God, what I have right now, what I'm walking in right now, Lord, 
it's not enough and there is more so lord may we partner right now with you god may we yield to the processes may we really yield to that to that two transitionary time that time of process where you are preparing us to go from glory to glory may we not resist it lord may we it may be hard maybe i'm not trying to pretend that it's easy or comfortable it's not but lord may we yield to what you're doing and may we say god whatever you want to do in me may god may i offer up my life as a living sacrifice do with me what you want so that i god like the temple of old could be filled with the fire of god because he does fill dedicated temples that's exactly what happened on the day of the temple dedication the fire of god fell why they dedicated the temple i'm the temper of the holy spirit so father thank you for what you're doing in jesus name thank you for listening to reformation scandinavia if you have been blessed please share this message Make sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen. We would love to stay connected with you. To receive our newsletter and to give to our ministry, go to reformationscandinavia.se. Maybe you have a relationship to Scandinavia. Send us an email and tell us more about it. Be blessed and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah.